Hi, welcome to the Refuge House Church Podcast. We are so glad that you decided to join us today. Here at the Refuge House, we help people discover their God-given uniqueness through the teaching of God's Word so that they can be empowered to make a difference and impact their world for Christ. So here's what we need you to do. We need you to grab your Bible, your notebook, your pens, and then get ready for a powerful message and see what God is going to do. I believe there are people in your life that probably need this message. So go ahead and share this to them and invite them to be a part of what God is doing today. Thank you and enjoy this week's message. Because I need to hear some things again. Hallelujah. So make sure you go and take time and listen to it. Uh, I said something to them in the first service, which I'm going to repeat for the benefit of those who are coming for the second service. I said this, that we'll be looking at the joyful life. Everybody say the joyful life. If you are following this message by now, if you are doing what the word says, you would have taken time to go back, sit down, ask yourself, which area is God's joy switching off in my life? Hallelujah. You know, we said two things to know about the joyful life. Number one, well, the foundation before the two things is when you were God born again, you were born into two lifestyles. The joyful life and the faith life. Say amen. We've looked at, say amen, come on. We've looked at the faith life. We're not looking at the joyful life. Glory to God. Now, we said two foundational truths you must know about the joyful life. Number one is that God placed joy in your heart. Say, I've got joy in me. Come on, say joy is here. Hallelujah. Joy came with your born again spirit. That new spirit that you received in Christ, joy is inside. It's part of your nature because joy is also God's nature and character. All right? Then number two, we said you must identify joy extinguisher. You know what a fire extinguisher does? It's to put out fire. The enemy understands the power of your joy. And I've told you this. The power of your joy is that it gives you the ability to make withdrawal from the well of salvation. And the well of salvation is Christ or the grace of God. Say with me, say the well of salvation. Can you put your attention on me? Say the well of salvation is the grace of Christ. Yeah. Bible says, for we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, that even though he was rich, yet for our sake he became what? Poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. Glory to God. So you've been made rich, enabled, qualified to draw. But if you are going to draw, you can only draw with a joyful lifestyle, with a joyful attitude. In other words, when you're talking to God, joy must be at the foundation of your spirit. Praise the name of the Lord. Everything God has done for you and I is so that we can come into his presence with joy. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Oh, joy, 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 joy. And we said there are four, we've looked at four extinguishers. Guard your heart against them. Because if you've not sat down to start asking the Holy Spirit to show you those areas of your life where joy has been extinguished. Because there are some of you, the truth be told, you are, you are just one sad person. You are sad. You fake a lot. When you smile, the smile is not even original. Because you're dealing with a joy extinguisher that you've not decided to address. And you can lie to man, but you cannot lie to the Holy Ghost. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Did you hear what I said? You can lie to man, but you cannot lie to the Holy Ghost. The first joy extinguisher is guard your joy against carnal-mindedness. That's the first one. Because those who are carnally-minded cannot be joyful. 
Those who are carnally minded, their mind is dominated by their senses, dominated by their experiences, dominated by looking to the world system as their rewarder instead of God. Guard your heart against that. Number two, guard your heart against the joy extinguisher of not spending time with your heavenly father. How can you be born again for how many years and yet your prayer life is still kindergarten? You can't pray in tongue for 30 minutes. You've been born again and you've been speaking in tongue. All your tongue is elementary speaking in tongue. Kindergarten speaking in tongue. No depth. You can't even spend... So, some of you, you can't hold your focus with God for 10 minutes without looking somewhere else. How you listen to the word of God is a reflection of your prayer life. If your prayer life is poor, your attention on the word will be poor. Because what solidifies your prayer life is the word. Because when you come, your attention will be more captured by carnal things. Remember what we read. Set your affection on things above. Nothing, all those things that are dragging your mind, they will not satisfy you. They won't give you joy. Because they were not meant to give you joy. That's why the Bible says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Spend time with God. Move beyond the kindergarten state. Start spending time. God is waiting for you to spend time. Give, and, and spending time with God begins with your personal prayer time that Jesus practiced that. Occasionally withdraw from the disciples and go and spend time with God praying. Alone. You must have an alone time with God when nobody's there. You shut down WhatsApp, shut down Facebook, shut down Instagram, shut down the phone and just stay there. No, you pray, pray, pray. You'll be looking at WhatsApp. Now send me a message. You're not praying now. You're playing. Shut down everything and give him your attention. Because there are some things he's been trying to tell you for the last six years, but you're not listening because you don't give him time. You don't give him attention. You're always running. Friend, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. I know today is going to be very busy, and you're starting it in his presence. You see, Father God, just go with me as I'm going now. Protect me, preserve me. You're even using words you have no connection, no heart connection with. Pray all those kind. Uh, Area boys prayer. Oh God of heaven, help us. Just anyhow, no intelligence, no depth, nothing. In Jesus' name, thank you, Father. I hope you heard me. What kind of stupid prayer is that? What do you mean? I hope you heard you. You're not sure because you're not familiar with Him. You're born again, but you're a friend of the world. What what gives you delight are the things of this world. Bling bling. So guard your heart against that. The third joy extinguisher is a poor relationship with the world. Where you hear the word and you don't do it, like what I'm talking about. You're not sad, that's okay. Which area, Holy Spirit, is my joy being quenched that the enemy is using against me? You've revealed to us, Father, what are those areas? Lord, show me. Corporal relationship with the word is that you hear the word and you do not do the word. And I keep saying this not doing the word is not a mistake, it is a choice. What did I say? It's something you, you, you program yourself for. How do I know? If, you're not, if you don't do the word, I can tell you one of your big problems is that you don't have a word note. You don't. I know when I write the pieces of paper. And before the next Sunday, the, piece, the paper has disappeared. You can't even trace where you found it. So your documentation of what you're hearing is weak. So you, there's no follow-up. Why do you document it? Because I want to do what the word says. Jesus said... Blessed are ye if you know these things, if you know them, if you, I mean, sorry, if you do these things, not if you know them. He said, blessed are you if you, know, if you do what I say. Not those who call me Lord, Lord, but those who do what I say. The fourth one is lack of contentment. 
And I said, longer truth is killing many people. The pressure to impress. The pressure to, to stand out. The pressure to be in people's good book is putting a lot of pressure on many believers today. And as a result, they cannot be joyful. They are comparing their life with other people's life. Ah, see me now. This one has a car. This one has a house. He's staying in this one. This one. Not even minding the underlying factor behind all those things you are comparing yourself with. And many today are not joyful because they feel that other people are better than them. You're not satisfied with who you are. You, you don't love yourself. You don't love the way you look. There's a problem with your head. There's a problem with your height. There's a problem with your nose. There's a problem with your eye. There's a, you are sicko. That's the truth. Something's wrong with you. What's wrong with you? You go and watch ETV, where they now go and do operation to correct nose. You say the way God made it is not good. Then you go and break it and reset it. Don't be looking funny. Be looking like an alien. That, those are insecurity complex. Some of you think that when you have that destined job, where they now pay you one million a month, that time you and your wife will be finally happy. That's why you'll be fighting like WrestleMania in the house. Because you're looking to things to satisfy you. It won't satisfy you. The way God built you, the raw material from which you came is God. And God is his spirit. Meaning it's only spiritual things that can do what? Satisfy you. The only part of you that has to do with the earth is your body. Because it took from the dust of the earth. Is that not so? But your, your core makeup is spiritual by design. That's why God calls, the Bible calls God the father of spirit. So it's only spirit things that can satisfy you. When it says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Why? Because your source is not here. Do you understand what I'm saying? Say with me, say my source is not here. It's not here. Paul says we came into this world with nothing. And we're going to live with nothing. So nothing you met here can make you happy. Do you understand what I'm saying? Everything you met here, God created them to assist you to fulfill the reason you were born. Not to become the reason you were born and not to become the reason for your excitement. Because if you fall in love with things, you will miss your focus. That's why some of us can't serve God the way we should. Because we've attached our contentment to stuff. We've attached our contentment to things around us. Hallelujah. And the fifth one we began to look at is the spirit of heaviness. Even to pronounce the word self is heavy. That's it. That's which is one of the most destructive joy extinguishers. Because this one started from the Garden of Eden. What did I say? Yeah. Satan unleashed the spirit of heaviness on creation after Adam fell. And let's read Isaiah chapter 61. This time we're going to read from verse 1 to verse 3. I'll try to push it further. I've laid some foundation. That's why I said, go listen to the first service message. We have a podcast now. By 12 o'clock, our podcast will download. So the message in both first and second service is in the podcast. You just need to click the link, and it will take you straight there, and you begin to listen to that. All right? Isaiah 61, are you there? Verse 1 to verse 3. My emphasis is on verse 3. What did he say? Verse 1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to them that are about. Can I say something before we read verse 2? Do you notice everything we are reading 
are conditions that were introduced to humanity because of Adam's sin. I hope you know that. God, you know, in the first service, I, I, we read Genesis 1.31. Please, everybody go there. Genesis 1.31. I want you to go there and read that. Let's see what the Bible said, then compare it with what we're reading now. So you know what Jesus came to do? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. Are we there? That should be the easiest place to find, Abby. Eh? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. Can we read it together? What did he say? And God saw that everything that he had made, hold on, hold on. What is everything? Talk to me. What, what is everything? Who made the everything? Huh? So as far as it falls within the perimeter of what God has made, what did he say about everything? It, he said, behold, or see, it was very good. So everything God made was very good. Everybody say, very good. Now go back to Isaiah chapter 61, where we're reading. Hallelujah. Isaiah 61. Now, I hope you know, like we said in the first service, this scripture is a prophetic uh, scripture about Jesus because Jesus repeated it in Luke chapter 4, verse 18. And he said, this day the scripture is fulfilled in your eyes. Now, look at it. Let's begin from verse 1 again. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is Jesus speaking about Jesus because he has anointed me to preach good tidings, which is another word for gospel. Unto the meek, he has sent me to bind up the broken hearted. Let me ask you a question. Is broken hearted good? Eh? To be broken hearted means to be depressed or despaired. Is it a good thing? It means to be discouraged. Is it a good thing? So God didn't create it. Is that not true? But it was a condition that was introduced to humanity through sin. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Yeah, when you say, oh, you betrayed me, that's a brokenheartedness. It's, a, it's an emotional response to a situation that was introduced to man. Because God didn't create man to betray each other. Because that's not part of creation. That's not, that's not part of, the last time I checked, good. That's not part of the syllabus of good. He said, to proclaim liberty to the captive. What is a captive? A prisoner. Is that not so? Talk to me now. Is it not? When God made man, did he make man a prisoner? Uh, is, is being a captive good? So God didn't make man so. You know the truth? Huh? God didn't make man so. Let me show you something in Proverbs. Go to the book of Proverbs. Hallelujah. I want to show you something very important. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 2. I want to show you something many of us miss most of the time. And some lies some of us have attributed to God that has nothing to do with God. Because I want you to understand how destructive the spirit of heaviness is. And how the enemy uses that to quench the joy in people's heart. Look at verse 2. What did the Bible say? The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Is that true? Yes, it is true. But this is what many of you miss out. Many of you have been taught and lied to by the devil that God made some people rich and he made some people poor. Hello? Talk to me now. That, that's what he did. Now, now, that's not true. 
God did not, the scripture here did not say God made one rich and God made one poor. God made the rich and the poor because the rich and the poor, they are creatures of God. True of us? And we are all creatures of God. Are you listening to what I'm saying? But after that statement, you need to understand that whatever you become is a function of the choices you make. And that choice you make depends on the knowledge you have working in you. And I want you to understand that Satan is a liar. His job is to raise knowledge that is against the knowledge of God. Because the knowledge of God represents the goodness of God to man. Every knowledge of God is a revelation of the goodness of God to man. Are you listening to what I'm saying? So the Lord, God made the poor and the rich. Not, the Bible did not say God made them so. Do you understand that? So next time you open your mind and say, no, there are some of us that God made us poor. You are lying against God. Because in Genesis 1 verse 31, he made everything. Behold, it was good. So poverty is not good and it couldn't come from God and it cannot come from God. Am I making any sense? Are you listening to what I'm saying? Very good. Now go back to Isaiah 61. Let's look at verse 2. Isaiah 61 from verse 2. The Bible says that, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn in Zion. So let me say Jesus' mission is to comfort all that mourn in Zion. So let me say it's not God's will for me to mourn. Now what is Zion? Zion is a prophetic picture of the church. What did I say? My son came to ask me, say, well, Daddy, what is Zion? Zion is a pro in the Old Testament, Zion refers to that mountain. It's called Sion, S-I-O-N. And Sion. Represent that place where God met with Moses. Are you following me? The mountain where he met with, where God's presence descended and had an encounter with Moses. It's called Manzion or Masion. Now, that, that episode is a typology or symbol of you and I, the church, that will now become the dwelling place of God. Do you understand that? Where does God meet now? Where does God dwell in us? So we are Zion. Are you listening to what I'm saying? You don't have to go to a mountain to look for God. Where is God? Somebody say, in me. The Bible says we are the temple of God. Say that. Say, I am the temple of God. Say, I am the Zion of God. I didn't hear you. I didn't hear you. Say, I am the Zion of God. So if you're looking for God, where do you look? Look inside. He lives in you. He said you are the temple or the dwelling place of God. Very good. Now, the mission of Christ in this passage of the scripture, which was a prophecy of what Christ would do. I said this also in Romans 3.23. The Bible says, all have seen and fallen short of the glory of God. Is that not so? Is that also very good? Now, when Adam sinned, they fell short. And because we were in Adam, we also sinned. But the consequence of that sin was that the knowledge of God in man also fell. Do you understand that? The knowledge of God in man fell. The perception of God in man did what? Fell. So man's language changed. Man's language, man's mind was no longer guided 
by the wisdom of God, it was guided by their new master, Satan. That's what Jesus said in John 8. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and him, you will listen. He's lost, you will also do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abided not in the truth, for he's a liar and the father of what? Lies. Satan is the CEO and founder of Lion Incorporated. He's a liar by, by nature. He lies. Are you listening? That's the corruption that he picked up. So anybody who talks with the devil will always leave a liar. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is nothing that comes out of his mouth that is truth. Even when he says a thing that looks like true, he's using it for a twisted reason. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like when he said, Jesus, all this power and glory that has been delivered to me, that was true. But he spinned it around. I will give it to whom soever I will. If only you will do what? Worship me. The devil does not have the capacity to tell the truth. What did I say? Say it, everybody. Say it again. He doesn't have the capacity to tell the truth because it's his nature to lie. All right? So, he, an emotional state was introduced into the soul of man. The soul of man is the mind, will, emotion. And, and that emotional state is called sorrow. Everybody say sorrow. And we're going to see it in the next verse. Go to verse 3. And that's what Jesus, that sorrow affected the way man perceived God. Because have you, have you gone to bury us or heard when somebody dies? What did they say? The Lord give it. The Lord take it. Glory to God. Which glory? Is it God that killed the person? No. We, we thank God. We submit to the will of God. Who knows all things. You may just say, now God kill him. Don't, don't, don't quote it religious rubbish. Just say, now God kill him. That's what you want to say, is it not? Talk to me, is it not? That's what people want to say. Now God kill him. So when a person dies... Oh, it is the will of God for the person to die. Just because you can't explain what happened, God must have, And God says, I am not the one. It's not me. He said, but look at Job. God tested him. No, God didn't test him. It was Job's fear that opened the gate for Satan to come for him. He said, the things I feared most as what? It's come upon me. So when you read Job, read Job with the revelation of the New Testament, then you understand it better. Am I making any sense? Please hear me and listen to me carefully. Praise the name of the Lord. Please, can somebody carry that cute baby? Eh? Usher, please, do your job. All right. Verse 3. Are you there? To appoint unto them that mourn in who? In Zion. To appoint unto them. So, hear me. That state of mourning, that state of sorrow that was introduced to the soul of man, in order to affect or corrupt the way man sees God and his goodness, Jesus came to correct it. Say amen. amen. Did you hear what I said? What did he come to do? Listen to me because there are many of you secretly in your heart. There are some bad things that have happened to you and you attributed it to God using it to teach you wisdom. You need to repent of that. Or else your revelation of God will not be accurate. So you know, I'm just going through a tough time now because God is using it to teach me wisdom. He's not teaching me. You are suffering because of your lack of knowledge. Do you understand that? My people are destroyed for what? Lack of knowledge. Not because God is testing. Why would God want to test you with, with sickness? Where you, is it when, if you, if you cannot think straight when you are normal, is it when you are sick you think better? Not possible now. Bible says in James 1, God does not tempt any man with what? Evil. 
But if you read upper part, a man is tempted when he's drawn by his word. He's all lost. Hallelujah. So we, we need to get, for you to appreciate the goodness of God, you need to know that God is innocent of all accusation. What did I say? You didn't say it one more. Say God is innocent of all accusation of evil. Say that. If there is one damage the devil is trying to do to a lot of believers today, is to get them to blame God for evil. Why is God aligned evil? God created good and God created bad. Sorry, we saw from the scripture in Genesis 1.31, everything that God made, behold, it was, was very good. So, any other addition was not by God. And you also need to understand this, that what we call power of Satan... Is Adam's authority. Do you understand that? Because when God gave man dominion, he gave man the power to influence the earth. But when Adam sinned, he gave that dominion to Satan. But the good news is that Jesus collected it back. Say amen. Yeah. So the only thing Satan has now is a big mouth and a big lie. And if you don't have the knowledge of the truth, you will fall victim to his lies. Like some of you now, especially you go for some, you know, uh, morning or burial so we just want to thank God for the will of God God knows why it took him or her or she or me or we just know God knows better but I know he's enjoying in heaven I God says no me I didn't do it I didn't take anything why will he say with long life I will satisfy you then he will not turn around and kill you does that make sense even to you does it make sense just, just say you don't know then opening your mouth and we just thank God. Say, now God kill him. Now you won't talk. Hallelujah. Okay. To appoint unto them that morning, and to give unto them beauty for what? If God wanted you to have ashes, why will, why will he give you beauty? If ashes is part of the humility too, why will he give you beauty? Are you listening to what I'm saying? Alright. The oil of joy, which represents the anointing, for mourning. In other words, Satan wants to prevent you and I from flowing in the anointing through mourning. Then look at the other one, which, which summarizes everything actually. The garment of praise, glory to God, for what? For the spirit of heaviness. Then it tells us what heaviness will do. We want to stop. This is what heaviness will Okay, it's not there. That they might be called trees of what? Righteousness. When heaviness takes its place, it prevents you from maintaining and portraying the testimony of being called the trees of righteousness and the planting of the Lord. Now, look at verse 3 carefully. I want to show you. There are three words in verse 3. Actually, it's one word, but like looking at it from three sides, but it's actually one word. The first one is mourning. It's first, it's first used as mourn. To mourn means to grieve. Alright? Mourning. The second word there is ashes. Everybody say ashes. What does ashes mean? How many of you have seen an ash before? There are things, two things you need to know about an ash. Ashes are the residue of after something has, has been burnt. Is that not true? Huh? When something has been burnt, what is the residue? It's called ash. It's a reminder of what was once there and is gone. Is that not so? That's what ash means. Then also in the Bible, ashes was also used as a sign of mourning. When they want to humiliate themselves, they will rub ashes on themselves. 
as a sign of shame. Read your Bible, it's there. Hello? Uh, I know some of you are coming from some places, but let's leave that one. Then number three, heaviness. Actually, mourning and ashes are actually heaviness in another form. But, but heaviness, these three words, write this down, represent one emotional state called sorrow. Everybody say sorrow. Right, say it, say it louder, say sorrow. Mourning, ashes, and heaviness represents one emotional state called what? Sorrow. Now, please listen to me. Say with me, say God designed me to live a joyful life. Say that. See, in the joyful life, there is no vacation. What did I say? There's no season of vacation. That is, you are not joyful for January to February, then you become sad from March to April, then you now resume joy from May to June, then you now go sad again from July to August, eh? then you now resume joy again from September, October to November, and you go sad. And for those of you who also, who they've sold, I don't know where they picked that revelation from, Ember Mount. Have you heard of Ember Mount? It's not this. I hope you know it's not from the Bible. I hope you know. Look, some of you are looking. So you are not answering me. I hope you know it's not in the Bible. Can you answer me? Let me know. Be sure. Because if you believe a lie, it will haunt you. There is nothing like Ember Mount in the Bible. That's the product of a man's imagination. Are you listening to me? Because <laughs> some of you now, you've written, say, I'm in the Ember Mount. That the uh, um, activity of the devil is high. Who told you? Where did you read it? Is it in the Bible? If it's not in the Bible, it shouldn't shape the way you think. Or it will give Satan an advantage over your life. Those are kind of lies that Satan wants you to believe. Because as long as you believe those lies, it keeps you in the wrong emotional state where you cannot perceive the goodness of God and respond to it. And also write this down. The goodness of God does not go on vacation. The joyful life has no... There are no seasons of vacation in joy. None. There is also no season of vacation with regards to the goodness of God. God is good all the days of our life. Amen. If we don't allow his word to shape our expectation, we will allow our fears to confuse us. Because that's what the devil wants. I was sharing this with someone, and I said in Psalm 23, God made a promise. He said, surely, what does surely mean? Certainly, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of our life. It is now we that now starts dividing it. Bam. It will follow me for January. It will leave me for the next February and March. You will now use your mouth and your mind to not say, okay, today not follow me. Today was a bad day. Today was a bad day. Then when you remember, say, oh, goodness and mercy. God said, surely goodness and mercy will follow you some days. I'm not hearing everybody. I'm not hearing everybody. I am not hearing everybody. There are no vacation to the goodness of God. Praise the name of the Lord. So, morning ashes and heaviness, they all represent one emotional state called sorrow. What is sorrow? Write this down. Sorrow is the emotional state of vanity. Sorrow is the emotional state of vanity that was introduced into the soul of man 
after Adam sinned. That's also race. That emotional state of vanity. As far as heaven is concerned, to be sorrowful is to live a vain life. And vanity is emptiness. What is emptiness? That means there's no gain. There's no gain. Say with me, say there's no gain in being sorrowful. It will only wear you out, deal with you, destroy you. There is no gain in being sorrowful. There was a woman whose uh, husband left her and followed another woman. Stupid man. But the woman was even more stupid. She became so broken-hearted and sorrowful that she died of a broken heart. That is what Satan can do with sorrow in your life. Do you understand that? He will, if you allow him, you will die of it if you permit him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because sorrow is an emotional state of vanity. It confuses you that you are, you are grieving for something, but it just kills the person at the end of the day. It's a state of hopelessness, despair. Man was not created to experience sorrow, but when Adam sinned, it entered the soul of man. And when God didn't design you for something, and it enters you, it will destroy you, it won't build you. Do you understand what I'm saying? If something was not originally designed for your purpose, it will wear you out. You were not built to carry sorrow, but if you carry sorrow, it will wear you out. After a while, not only will it corrupt your mind, it will begin to affect your outlook. That's why when somebody gets depressed and discouraged, after a while, it starts showing. And the end of it is to invite the spirit of death to take the person. That's what it means. Because when you say I'm sorrowful, it means I'm tired. For whatever the cause is, I'm tired. I, I, I just I can't continue like this. I'm frustrated. I'm discouraged. And the more you do that, the more you're calling death. After a while, you will not see a reason to live anymore. That's what has infected a lot of believers with this state of hopelessness that when they come into the house of God, they don't see any reason to thank God. They don't see any reason to be joyful and excited. Why? Because sorrow has used one deceptive tool to introduce vanity into their soul. And you see them come. Have, have you seen people where everybody's laughing? They'll just be looking. Then you come in and say, like I told you, their second name, are you okay? That's their name. Say, are you all right? Eh? And they say, eh, eh, sorry, are you asking me something? They'll, they'll be walking on the road. A car will be coming. Poo, 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 poo. They don't hear. They're lost in their mind. There are many husbands that are in sorrow today. There are many wives that are in sorrow. There are many youths that are living in sorrow. Don't get carried away by looks. They can dress fine. They can be working in a very good company, but are full of sorrow. You will never know. Let me tell you what happened to a man in, in, um, in oil company. I won't call the company. Because of his kind of lifestyle, he wasn't relating with people. He just comes, he doesn't even greet. The only interface you have with him is if his job and your, his own matches, then you communicate, he'll give you. But when he comes, he doesn't greet anybody. That's a pathetic way of living. And some of you are like that. Nobody will greet you. As soon as you come, you just generate it. The vibe you send is death. Everyone will just, you know, all the leaves will start to wither. Everything will just be dying around you. As you're coming, everything is dying. If they were laughing, as soon as you come, you collect the laugh and kill it and pass. That's all you do. Just, just kill everything. You're like a death, death ripper. Just take everything life and, and, and kill it. When, when everybody's laughing, they just go, everybody. They come, they come. They come. Everybody, shh, shh. Then you now come. Principality of sorrow. Um, 
As you go, they will just start laughing again. What kind of life is that one? This guy came to the office one morning, he had a heart attack and died on his chair. Nobody knew. He was just like this. Uh -uh. Of course, nobody greets him good night or good whatever. They left him. First day, nobody noticed that it was the same way he sat. The first day was the way. It was like two days or three days. The cleaner was cleaning in the morning. And he saw him in the same position after like two days. Ah, he now called his name. Are you okay? When he pushed him, the man just fell. He was dead. He was dead for two days and nobody knew. That is the vanity sorrow can introduce to your life. And there's a spirit intelligence behind sorrow. It's called the spirit of what? Heaviness. You think heaviness is just a deep, ordinary depression. Depression is his tool. There's an intelligence and a presence behind the spirit of heaviness. His job is to infect your soul with sorrow. Why? Because he knows God created you so he can be glorified in your life. So to prevent that glory from shining in your life, just infect you. Follow me. Are, are, are you learning something? Are you learning something? Listen to this. Hallelujah. Mourning is sorrow. When people mourn, they are sorry. Ashes is sorrow. Heaviness is what? Sorrow. Write this down. Sorrow is a feeling of deep distress. Feeling of deep distress. That's why you see many people who have money, they find out that they thought money would make them happy and they found that money is not making them happy. So you see them, they have other vices. Some go and join courts. Some carry women. Some go into drugs. What are they doing? They're trying to fight the sorrow in their soul with drugs, sex, and women. It won't deal with it because it's a spirit thing. Everybody says it's a spirit thing. How many of you know that you don't see thoughts? Do you see thoughts? No, thoughts are spiritual by nature. So if you're going to deal with it, you have to deal with it with the word of God or else it will cause you to despair. Let me give an example where sorrow can hit you. You are a young man. You just finished university. No job. Everybody say no job. No job. You've tried. You've done CV. You've gone to different places. No work. And your, no, it's not as if your certificate, you made two one. And your certificate is good. You've tried and tried and tried and tried. If you are not very careful, the spirit of heaviness can visit you. You can start feeling sorry for yourself. Now what can, next thing you know what you do? Nigeria is a useless place. Say it's true, self. You won't know that he's talking to you. Say Nigeria is a useless place. How can I not have a job in this country? Next thing you now go and meet the president as if he knows you. Useless president, useless this. You. What has he got to do with your job? Are you, are you listening to what I'm saying? Somebody's, we're driving into artillery. We're coming from the gym one morning. And some of you must have seen it. At the, close to the flyover, people have started parking dirt on a clean place. I told you, I said it's called spirit of uncleanness, unclean spirit. It's not normal. Will you carry dirt and put it inside your parlor? It just tells you the way people's mind are thinking. As they're doing it, they will even be causing the president useless president. Just make our life difficult. Hey, throw it in the dirty for the makeup account. It's in Abuja. You are here. That's what despair does. You, you suffer from what they call misplaced priority. And you should be talking nonsense. So I just tie yourself. Hey, if you don't say person, not get work. Person get work now. This guy. What has the tickle to do with your work? Hallelujah. So sorrow, write this down, is a feeling of deep distress, disturbance caused by a loss. It could be you lose something, 
or disappointment of not having a job. Maybe you're expecting something and the thing delayed. It has not yet manifested. It has not yet come. The way to avoid the entrapment of heaviness is to rejoice while you wait. Hello? Do you understand what I'm saying? You rejoice while... You know what, true, what patience actually means? Patience is maintaining your joyful stance until your manifestation comes. Because if you don't rejoice, the spirit of heaviness will pay you a visit. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Because every day you and I have opportunity to be tempted with the spirit of heaven. You can just sit down and you are thinking about your family and the spirit of heaviness will just throw it in. Because it's a spirit. Say, see your family. Say, see. Blessed they curse now. You say it's true. Because if they not curse us, why would we be like this? Say, yes. Say, remember what your baba told. Say, look at your father's life. Nothing. Say, it's true. Your mother too, before he died. Nothing. Say, it's true. And look at your own. It'd be like their own. That's, you start before you know you 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 start taking his bait. Sorrow is a feeling of deep distress, cause, and there are many sorrowful Christians today in the body of Christ. You borrowed a car, and you collected the car for a loan because you want to pay. Instead of depending on the grace of God to help you, you want to use power to do it. And the day the thing does, maybe the car breaks down that day. And listen, oh, because I want, I want to make it as practical to you. The car breaks down and somebody did something it's not supposed to do. Then the spirit of heaviness will want to use that issue to mess up your day. And you just, because sorrow can be caused by disappointment. Disappointment is when things don't happen the way we expect them to happen. When things that are supposed to come, does not come. We become distressed. What you don't understand is that that emotional shift opens the door for the devil to prevent God's glory from being revealed in your life. To you, you think you are having an emotional roller coaster, but Satan is carefully cornering you so that the glory of Christ that you carry in your life will not be revealed. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You will come to church in that state. They are worshiping. Your face will just look. In fact, you will be disconnected. You will be singing. Like when you be singing, you'll be doing like this. Like somebody whose spirit is worried. Hallelujah. Are you listening to me? It can also be caused by misfortune suffered by the person or others. Let me give you some synonyms of sorrow that some of you may be familiar with. That's why some of you, when the word of God is coming, if, if, if sorrow has taken a struggle in your heart, it will make sure that it doesn't allow you to pay attention to the word. Because as the word of God is coming, you know what the spirit of, spirit of heaviness will be doing? He will be reminding you of some bad things in your life. He will remind you of your mistakes that you made in the past. And that your mistake will always define who you are. It will remind you of regret. It will remind you of home. So while I am preaching and the word of God is coming, your mind will be busy rehearsing those painful memories and experiences in your life. And before you realize it, you will just hear me say, let us pray. I've been preaching for a while. I know that when people are looking at me, it's not everybody that's listening to me. I know. So you can't deceive me with looking at me. It's up to you. Because why I'm saying that your mind will just be playing the video of all the terrible things that has happened. The disappointment, the betrayal, all the things that, things that has happened to you. How things is like this, how things is like that. And it just be, then next you not be crying. Then you think, I'll think it's the Holy Ghost that is working on you. It's sorrow. It's sorrow. You're sad. 
So today I just leave church heavy. How can you leave church heavy? How now? God doesn't make people heavy. Synonyms of sorrow. Are you ready for this? Unhappiness. That's another word for sorrow. When you're unhappy, it's sorrow. That means you become an emotional captive of sorrow. You shouldn't. Jesus came to address those, appoint those that mourn in Zion to comfort them. Another word for sorrow is regret. Everybody say regret. All these are relatives of, of sorrow. They are all cousins. They belong to the same family. When you see one, you see everything. Another one is depression. Everybody say depression. That's another synonym for sorrow. You're familiar with words like this. Low spirit. Low spirit is no excitement. You are like stone. And this is about we're talking, we're talking of conventional people are getting excited. God is going to do my thing. You just come and you are a spoiler. Your, in fact, your appearance is a spoiler. When you just come, I say, don't come here. Don't come here. Which one? What do you come do for yourself? Your appearance is a spoiler. Your face scatter everything. Because when you come, they know something will go wrong. Another word synonym for sorrow is heaviness of heart. Heaviness of heart. Broken hearted. Broken hearted. Your heart was not designed to be broken. But broken hearted simply means you become a victim of sorrow. Then grief. It's another word for sorrow. When you grief. Now write this down. This is the goal of sorrow. And that's what the spirit of heaviness does. Listen. This unhealthy, because these things, these words I mentioned, they represent an unhealthy emotional state. Emotional mind state, emotional feeling state, and emotional will state. They are all unhealthy emotional state. If your emotion carries all this, the Holy Ghost can flow through you because you'll be resisting the Holy Ghost with bad emotion. Sorrow is a bad emotion you must reject. Do you understand that? Hello? Because if you don't reject it, the enemy will use it to quench your joy. You must be careful when you get into an environment and everything people are saying is generating sorrow. You either change the atmosphere or you get away from that place. Because if you stay there, very soon they will infect you and you will live as one of the converts of sorrow. Alright? Write this down. These emotional state, okay, this unhealthy emotional state of sorrow prevents the believer from living the glorified life in Christ. Or you can simply put, the mission of sorrow is to prevent the believer from living a glorified life. The glorified life is a joyful life. The glorified life is a, is a victorious life. Glory to God. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's what? It's a victorious life. It's a joyful life. You smile. Some of you now, you've you become very technical. You now hide your sorrow. We say, Natalia, Natalia. Say, say, see me, I'm just tired. Natalia, Natalia. Say, now you look like I say, Natalia, Natalia. I don't sleep well. <laughs> you have added light to it. The goal of sorrow is to prevent, introduce an unhealthy emotional state into the mind of believers so that they cannot live the glorious life. Now, write this down. The Christ life is a joyful life. The Christ life is a joyful life. The goal of the Christ life is to glorify Christ in the believer. The Christ life is a joyful life. 
The goal of the Christ life which we have, which is eternal life, is to glorify Christ in the believer. And there is no aspect of this glorification that has anything to do with sorrow. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Even when you go through what the Bible called the afflictions of the gospel, he said they took joyfully the spoiling of their goods. Because they know their joy is not attached to the things. Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? The Christ life is a joyful life. The goal of the, joy, of the Christ life is to glorify Christ in the believer. A major aspect of this glorified life in Christ is called the joyful life. The joyful life is proof that Christ is alive in you. Hallelujah. Because any carrier of Christ must be joyful. It is your state. You are full of gratitude. Not because of things or stuff, but because of him. Hallelujah. Because he knows his love for you doesn't go on vacation. His goodness and faithfulness over your life does not go on vacation. It is maintaining that understanding that causes your joy to overflow. Say amen. amen. Write this down. This will help you. The joyful life is a life of strength. So when you are not joyful, you are living a weak life. And that's what the spirit of heaviness capitalizes on. Write this down. The joyful life is a life of strength. Write it down. The joyful life is a life of strength. Let me show you some scriptures, then we'll begin to round up. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. Everybody say with me, say the joyful life is a life of strength. I didn't hear everybody. I did not hear everybody. The joyful life is what? You need to get the revelation of this message, you because there are many disciples of sorrow out there. Some are in your family, some are in your house, some are in your office, some you will see them on the road, you will see them in taxi, you will see them on internet. They are apostles and messengers of sorrow. Their job is to spread the message of sorrow everywhere. To make you aware. Why do you think bad news sells? Because it introduces sorrow. When people hear bad news, they have a sorrow response to it. Hey, yeah, ah, now wow, say, hey, they say, I see the motor kill him, motor kill him, motor kill him. Hey, this word, wicked word. Che, now wow, hey, yeah, hey, yeah. Why, why all that? Because Satan knows when men become sorrowful, it becomes, it's easier for him to manipulate them. Nehemiah 810, are you there? I need you to see, this was at the point where Nehemiah had undertaken the task to rebuild Jerusalem, the fences of Jerusalem that was broken down, the city that was broken down. And at this point, they began to rejoice. Hallelujah. And it was now restoring them back to foundations that they should have that the enemy had destroyed. And one of them was the foundation of joy. Let's read what he says. He said, and he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet, which was a, uh, a symbol for celebration. And send portion or be generous unto them for whom nothing is what prepared. Now look at what he said. This day is talking about is a prophetic. It has a local application during their time. But if we look at it from the redemption of Christ, it's referring to the day you and I got born again. Say amen. The day we got born again. Say for this day is holy unto our, our Lord. Neither be ye sorry. Look at the neighbor and say don't be sorry. That word sorrow there means to grieve, which is one of the synonyms for sorrow. He said, be ye, neither be ye sorry. Why? For the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
In other words, if you get sorrowful, you deny your strength. To be sorrowful is to deny the strength of God in your life. That's why you feel weak. That's why you feel heavy. Because you are not acknowledging the strength of God, which is the life of God in you. For I can do all things through Christ that word strengthens me. So when you are sorrowful, what you do is that you are denying the strength of Christ that you carry and you are acknowledging your situation and your circumstances as more important than what you have in God. Let me round up by saying this. There's a scriptural picture. Everybody say scriptural picture. That the Bible gives us of a glorified life in Isaiah 61 verse 3. There's a picture. We're going to look at that next Sunday. Okay, upper Sunday because next Sunday will be convention. There's a scriptural picture that God gives. We're going to investigate it. This picture is the look of a glorified life in Christ. The Bible says they shall be called trees of what? Righteousness and what? Plantings of the Lord. That's the life. That's a glorified life. You can also look at it as a joyful life. And that's what Satan is afraid of. Because when you manifest as trees of righteousness and plantings of the Lord, you are running on the power and the anointing of God and not your strength. Say amen. Do you know the joyful life is not running on your strength? You're not running on your strength. Because the Bible says, for by your strength no man can prevail. But when you live a joyful life, you are running on the ability of God, not your ability. You will be called trees. That word tree means strength or oaks of righteousness and the plantings of the Lord. You will not be the one that planted yourself. You, he will be the one that plants you. Are you listening to me? That's what joy too. When, when you operate joy, you give God the honor to establish his glory through your life. So no matter what the devil throws at you, it will just become a raw material that will end up pushing you forward to where God wants you to go. Say a good amen. Because you're not moved by what he says. You're not moved by what you see. You're only moved by what he has said. Say with me. Say, I choose to live the joyful life. Say, I choose to live the joyful life. Say, I choose to live the joyful life. Rise up on your feet. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. Your generosity helps us to take this message to the ends of the earth. You can give on our website at www.therefugehousechurchhc.org. So go ahead and click on the link in the description. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this.